0: The topic of this infra uh, chat is going to be open source, open standards in the age of SaaS. Um, and to, to to cover it, we've got, you know, Peter Levine and I who are both GPs and Andreessen Horowitz. We do a lot of investing in open source and we've both been involved in companies that have done open source. Um, but we also have three additional panelists who all have pretty deep backgrounds in open source. And so I'm going to have them introduce themselves, um, and I'll call them out one by one relative to this, and then we'll get into the discussion. And so, Christian, do you mind going first and just doing a quick introduction relative to the topic?
1: Yep, certainly. Uh, Christian Kleinemann, I run the product team over at Snowflake. I've been building database technologies, database platform for a number of years. Ex Microsoft, ex Google, and uh, yeah, right now Snowflake is is mostly closed source. But as we'll discuss, it's not a black and white for us.
0: Awesome, great. Uh, So next, Nick, um, do you mind doing a quick background?
2: No problem. Uh, I'm Nick Schrock. I'm the CEO and founder of a company called Elemental. We're uh, the company behind Dagster, which is an open source data orchestrator for the full data lifecycle. And prior to that, I was at Facebook for eight years and worked on a lot of internal projects, but the one I'm known for
0: is I created GraphQL. Awesome. Uh, and then Andrew, do you mind quick background? Yeah, of
3: course, uh, I want to start, um, and I know representation matters to Andreessen Horowitz, so I want to recognize all the women, people of color, and LGBT influencers who contributed to my understanding of the, the topics we're going to discuss today. And awesome. my background, um, going back to you know 2000, basically the year 2000, using Linux as a student and, and in some startups, So I was in some venture funded startups before I started making my own open source projects, and then I've really been focused on open source infrastructure automation for the last 10 years. So uh, my first commits into the Puppet code base were in 2004. I worked on Puppet till 2009. I was a VP of engineering at a OpenStack startup that was sold to EMC called Cloud Scaling. And then I spent five years uh IPO-ing Pivotal, and now I'm at Red Hat.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And, you know, Peter, I, I know most... People here know you, but I actually think it's probably really going through your background. Like, there is a rumor that you actually worked on open source back in MIT way back in the day. <laughs> I did.
4: Um, the rumor is uh, is true. Um, I was uh, I was actually at the Open Software Foundation uh, way back when. I was first at Project Athena at MIT and worked there, and then worked at the Open Software Foundation. And it's actually interesting. It's almost like full circle back to now. That was really about open standards as opposed to open software, even though there were open software components. So um, I have a long history with open source. And then, of course, I ran. I was CEO of an open source company called Zensource um, about 10 or you know now 15 years ago. And uh, of course, have been active in a number of open source companies, including GitHub um, very early on. So. I've kind of seen the arc of open source and i think we're right in the middle of a renaissance there and this is a super interesting topic
0: awesome and and as part of this discussion i think we should cover whether github is actually an open source company it isn't <laughs> it is not it's right. actually funny yes it, i mean sorry you know I, your,
4: your great point <laughs> it is not an open source company in fact chris and i chris once when when i joined the board i was writing something about open source or whatever. And he's like, we're not an open source company. <laughs> it was funny. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there you go.
0: <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. This is Listen, this is going to tee up, I think, the, the discussion I see. So I've got a very quick preamble, then we'll go into the discussion. So the preamble is the following. The reason we decided to do this topic now is because last in for Clubhouse, which was two weeks ago, I made the comment where I said, well, open source is, becoming irrelevant, by which I meant <laughs> it's becoming less relevant. So let me be very clear. Open source is totally relevant. It's very important, and it will continue to be. But its role is really shifting. Um, and if you look at workloads that are being run today, new workloads, you know, I think the amount of open source they depend on is, is decreasing, and we'll have that discussion as well. And so... I traditionally have a networking background. In the networking, you don't really talk about open source. You talk about open standards because that is so important, right? And so there's this kind of new question is, as the world moves from, let's say, shippable open source to running SaaS services, which under which is a lot of proprietary code, are we adding a new realm of open standards? What is the realm of open source? Am I totally wrong? And open source is still this kind of major go-to-market motion and everything is still the same. And to kind of frame it out, actually, Christian and team at Snowflake, if you haven't read it, wrote a great uh, article about exactly this. And I think it dropped yesterday. Um, and we'll put a link on that when we, when we post this eventually. But uh, Christian, for the listeners, can you maybe just do a quick overview of that article?
1: Yes, certainly. And, and uh, the, the timing couldn't have been better uh, for the conversation today. And, and the context for, for the article was, uh, on a regular basis, we, we get the question on what's your stand on open source and open formats and open APIs. And and, and, and people ask that because Snowflake is primarily closed source. Uh, and the interesting thing is that even though there are strong opinions that I'm in favor and, I'm, and against, our sense is that uh, uh, all of these tools, open source, open formats, are more like a, an additional tool in your tool set. And depending on your goals, they may ha- help or hinder those goals, and, and that's how we how, how we think about it. So, for us, paramount, it's not like uh, security and governance of data, continuous performance I- I- improvements, continuous innovation, agile innovation, and, and we landed on n- not a black and white, it more like a matter of degree in, on these topics. For example, on open formats. Um, we we understand that nobody wants to be locked in, and our stance is we ingest all open formats and we uh, unload and export open formats. But we don't think that open formats are the best uh, interface for for the processing of the data. In that topic, I'm, I'm aligned with you, uh, Martin. On on it's more uh, open APIs or open standards, open protocols, yeah. open language.
0: I'm not. By the way, I'm not even sure I have an opinion on this. So. Okay, so but I get it.
1: Similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair and on the topic of open source, what we really like about the delivering solutions as a managed service is that the contract with with, with users is very clean. Right, the service is run independently. Uh, it's an API, a query language, things like that. And, and the need or the value for open source from from a consumer perspective is not uh, as high. So, so in that sense, I, I I agree with your premise from a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. But we have a number of components that we deploy either, I don't know, JDBC drivers, ODBC drivers, things like that, Python drivers that run on customer security perimeters, things like that. And those we think that... The original premises of and value of open source apply, and we actually open source all those components. So the, the message for us is, it, it is a tool. It is not black and white. It is not apply it everywhere. Is understand your goals and decide whether it helps your goals. That's the premise of our article that that uh, published yesterday. Awesome, cool. Um, which is interesting because it feels kind of like, you know, a little bit of the,
0: the traditional view of open source, which is like it has value and where it has value, you do it. And in other areas, it may not be as valuable. Um, but there still is kind of like this, this big shift that's going on that may be even larger than open source itself, which is kind of changing its nature. And I think, listen, Nick, I mean, you've been so active in open source with GraphQL prior and like now doing a company during this shift. It would be great if you could just talk about like how your views on this have changed, if they've changed at all. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, I guess I'll start with
2: I am not ideological on these matters. Um, it actually reminds me—this uh, is random reference—but the John Adams miniseries, Benjamin Franklin <laughs> describes himself as an extreme moderate, um, and. That's how I kind of feel in these discussions, because I think people have a tendency to overgeneralize across all domains and then get ideological about it. And I think the decision about open source, open standards, proprietary stacks is very particular to the properties of the technical architecture that we're talking about. So for example, Snowflake, they built an open standard. SQL. And I think it makes total sense to build a vertically integrated proprietary stack under that. And it served their customers very well. The technologies that I've been involved with, let's talk about their properties. You know, GraphQL, kind of a sister team that I didn't have anything to do with, created React at at Facebook. These have a much more intimate relationship with a developer in that your code is in process with them. The code is in your stack trace and doesn't have this incredibly constrained API like SQL does. And you also kind of want to involve the community in the design of that in a lot of ways. So, you know, take the GraphQL example. I think it's actually telling that the primary artifact of that open sourcing process was not software. It was a document. Um, We produced a... A spec based on our previous experience, experience. Yeah. And then we open sourced an implementation of it that was effectively a toy implementation. It wasn't being used in production at Facebook. So we ended up creating, and by the way, that wasn't my call. I wanted to go a totally different route. My co-creator, Lee, who's a genius, that was totally his his call on that. And it ended <coughs> up serving us very well. And I don't think we don't have any sort of if someone built a proprietary service behind GraphQL, oh God bless mm-hmm. them as long as it serves, as long as it provides value to the developers that we serve, right? That's what we care about, that's what our values are, and that's what we continue to care about. So um, I'll leave it there, but I guess just my summary point is that I don't have a generalized view of this, other than that you wanna design your stack to and have an opinion on this based on the specific technical properties of what you're actually
0: talking about. Um okay. Let me, let me let me let me maybe let me just like add to the discussion. I feel like there's just been this discussion we've been having for 20 years or 30 years or however long, which is like, you know, the properties of open source versus open standards, is it good, is it bad? And like and, and I get, you know, and I think that like most of the people probably listening to this and, and all of us kind of understand that core argument, which is like, you know, if it's open source, it's good, especially if you're using it as a developer. Um But if if it's an open standard and that's sufficient, then you can do a vertical implementation and nobody loses anything because you still have job portability. I mean, that's the traditional argument around open source. What I think is particularly, to me, particularly salient now, like the interesting question now is, if the primary means of consuming um, infrastructure today, if that's from SaaS, like, does that change the nature nature of open source? Like, for example, if you know, like, when we were at Nasira, uh, which is the company that I co-founded, a- and we built software, you know, we used open source for lots of infrastructure components. Right, we'd use Z- Co- Zookeeper for like distributed um, distribution primitives. We'd use Cassandra. We'd use all of these libraries, and today. It's quite likely that a company building the same thing would do it in the cloud, and they're actually not using open source now. They're using whatever like Google provides natively, which is totally closed source and proprietary to them, right? And so it's almost like new apps are using less open source. And so, Andrew, I just want to pull you in. Listen, you work at Red Hat. You've been following this for a long time. You know, if if you know this, you're at Pivotal. Like, if ten years ago you used a lot of open source in your code, and today. If you're building a new app, you don't. Does that change the nature, the strategic nature of open source?
3: I think things are always changing, right? And and so two points that were sort of already made um, by by Christian Nick, I want to bring up. One is this this tendency to overgeneralize. And I think when people keep saying open source, open source, open source is not a single thing. Every project, every community ha- has some nuance. And then um, the other point that was made um, by by Christian, I think, is this: you should understand your goals and be deliberate. Right. And so what you should understand is the is the nature of the dynamics of creating and capturing value that you're creating. And then when you think about so, so one of the things that you've sort of centered on in your own career and probably have the deepest understanding of is networking, where if everyone doesn't have the same protocol, literally nothing works. Then you get <laughs> true, then, then, then you get to SQL, and you know there's a standard, but there's some kind of nuanced differences. Between the implementation of the SQL that that make it non-trivial to move between those implementations. I, 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 how- I, I, will,
0: I will say that I I I on on Twitter, which is probably not a, a great place to have a nuanced discussion. I was like, well, you know, SQL is a great open standard, and, and many people made fun of me to point out that it's actually quite not portable, which is you know practically actually true.
1: Uh, so so the, the the core of SQL is portable, but everyone, as Henry's saying, has extended it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, which 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 means which means it, it it may not actually be portable in practice. In practice,
3: it is it is often not very portable. Or the, the activation energy required to be
1: portable is higher than most organizations are willing yeah. to pay. That that that's the key point. Many, many organizations choose to I'm just gonna uh, be be stuck with a, I don't know, NC992 or something <laughs> like that, and they are portable, others are not. <laughs> Got it, fair enough.
3: So, so one way to Sorry. frame this that I've been thinking about, and I think this is related to kind of the rise of or of the role of DevOps and SRE and, and why that's been elevated as well is if you look at the history of this, and um, you know we mentioned Peter's time and, and the work he did um, way in the past, there's there's in parallel to this conversation on open source, this notion of, of free software, which is intertwined right. in some ways. Um, but one of the things that sticks out in my mind when you're talking about free software is freedom zero is the freedom to run the program. And when you get to a world where you are talking about you know the internet and some of these infrastructures, are you actually capable of running the program? If if Google open sourced every line of code for Spanner right this second, who could actually run? Oh, that's
4: a great that's a great yeah, for sure.
3: So I think you when you when you see the shift to what it actually means to deliver, consume. Software as a service, it, it kind of breaks that that assumption that you could even run it if you had the code.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. that's 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 really that's true. I was, I was writing some notes here, and you know maybe a, a, a slightly different way to frame this out. At least in my mind, I think of two different eras of call it open source. Right now, there's 1.0 with open source, and I'll call 1.0 the Red Hat era where you know, you had on-prem open source, people would pay for support. In that world, the customer really cared about open source. I mean, I lived that world with Zensource, right? It's like you had to go, we're an open source company and we're gonna file work, charge for support and you download this stuff and it runs on-prem. I think the, 2. Now, the 2.0 era, which to me is the SaaS era and call it open source as a service or just software as a service, I don't think the user cares at all. Right. Like no one cares whether there's open source under the covers or not. And to me, that makes a huge distinction in terms of like who's a you know, what is the appeal of this particular product? Like open source in 10 years ago was the thing, and then you'd go build a product. Now it's SaaS is a thing. If there's yeah. open source under the covers and you leverage some of it, fine. But the users do not really care at all whether it's open source and they I'm do care make it, about open standards. <laughs> I'm, gonna make, I'm, gonna,
3: I'm gonna make a counterpoint. Um that okay. might be surprising given um, where I'm <laughs> working now. <on. But, laughs> yeah, well you work you it, work it, at you, you work <laughs> at Red Hat and Pivotal. What are you gonna say? Well of course listen, Go ahead. Be, <laughs> the, the, the point, the point is how, how much does someone actually care about open source? versus price, value, some other consideration when they're buying an operating system and then running Oracle or SAP or any of these other um, proprietary enterprise software, which is where, which was the underpin for a lot of the, those operating systems. So, so okay. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm just sort of challenging that open source was the thing that sold so many people. There has to be some other intrinsic value in the exchange to be able to capture that transaction. Just the fact that oh, it was open source.
4: I I agree with that, but remember, I agree with that. Like you know, ten years ago, for sure. But let's you know, I'll counter that with the the you know it was Microsoft versus Linux at the time, right? And what was the value of Linux was that it was open source, right? Yes, there was a lot of value, and users really cared. I'm not saying there was no value there. But the whole transformation actually occurred because users could in theory go do bug fiscas and contributions and see the code, whatever, as different from Windows. And that sort of unlocked the whole server revolution in that timeframe. I'm only saying now, and I absolutely believe it's all about value, I'm saying that SaaS provides value, but no one really cares that it's open source wait, under the right. The core
3: point was that you're if you're running Oracle as your database. It, it, it's hard to argue that your core value is open source. That's all I'm saying.
2: Yeah, I guess my <laughs> question about the Microsoft Linux thing, was it more about being open source or more about not being Microsoft? Because... <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, 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 or, 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 or not that,
0: Unix too, actually. I mean,
2: to be fair. Right, or or not, not the proprietary Unixes, right? Because right. they were... Yeah. Like, Microsoft was trying to vertically integrate very strictly and believe that was a point of leverage Rather than having more of a vertically stacked system where you could plug in at different points and you had yeah, escape yeah. valves, so yeah. I think by embracing something like Linux, you were able to adopt into an ecosystem where there were escape valves out of these proprietary stacks, um, as opposed to being like ideologically, you know, um, in believing in open source and kind yeah, of. Yeah, I guess it's way. a
4: subtle. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, sort of a subtle point, right? Like I, that. I. I that ideological difference was the difference, right? It was open source versus Microsoft, right? But,
1: but I mean, in my mind, the, the the ideological part was just uh, an aspect of it. There were issues around downtime and security patches and all those things where it had people looking for an alternative. Then, if someone tells you here's an alternative and it's also open source, then better. But I, I think at the end of the day, I think Andrew said it. It's always about is the software better, faster, more capable, cheaper. And, and that is the high order bid. And for a while, open source provided those alternatives. It's one dimension of the value equation that you're trying to say.
2: Yeah. I'd like to bounce back to a point that was made a few minutes ago, which was about, oh, everyone has their own proprietary SQL and the workloads aren't portable. So what are we actually talking about? I think the point there is not that the data is portable. It's that the skills are portable and the tools on top of it are portable, meaning like people put SQL on their resume, um, fewer people put proprietary yeah. databases on their resume. Um, yeah. And yeah. so we had a line for this at the internal group at Facebook, which is these technologies are learned once, right anywhere, which is you kind of learn a way of thinking about it and then the skill set is portable. So, you know, there was like a, there, back to the Microsoft <laughs> thing, you know, for instance, like the .NET framework was an amazing framework. Um, but if you learned the Microsoft stack only, you were really constrained in your job prospects. There's kind of a developer incentive thing going on here, so um, you know, don't underestimate the things that people put on their resumes Go for it.
3: <laughs> resume dri- resume driven development is definitely a phenomenon.
2: so yeah, I knew we made it with GraphQL when we started seeing in in job listings. You know, five years of GraphQL experience required, you know, three years
0: after its invention or released to the public. (laughs) By the way, I've always wanted to create for like, like, what are, what is like the, the background radiation that you feel for like category creation? Like the things that you know that things are being created, like JobRex is one. Spam, like I remember when I got my first spam for like SDN. I'm <laughs> like, this must be coming a thing, right? Like for sure, you can see the evolutions of spaces this way. I do, I do want to, I do want to get into like now in a more specific question because I, I feel like there's actually a law of physics that's starting to emerge that people aren't talking about, and, and I want to, I want to wrap it around something that Peter said. So, so, so Peter said, okay, listen, if you're using a SaaS service like say GitHub, people don't care whether it's open source or not. That may or may not be true. But here's what I'm more interested in. And and maybe, Nick, you may be in the best position to answer this question. But um, let's say say people did care that it's based around open source, let's just say, right? So let's say like you've got an open source project and then you turn into a SaaS service, they care that it's open source. My experience, sitting on boards of companies that build SaaS services around open source is that there's a tremendous amount of engineering work that builds the SaaS service. And it's like hard stuff, right? It's like, you know, how do you, you know, run these like big distributed systems? And like, it's it's, it's like, you know, how do you do the SLA? is like, like, it's just, it's a, like, there's actually much more effort working on the SaaS service than the actual open source. And so whether or not people care, I'm just curious, like, does it matter because at the end of the day all of this code is needed for this kind of proprietary SaaS stuff and that's where a lot of the quote unquote hard value is anyways. And so you know I'm not sure if there's actually a specific question, but like like maybe Nick or Andrew or Christian, like can you talk to like the relative amount of work to like building the app versus actually the SaaS service?
2: Yeah, I guess um I'll answer it a different way. I've been thinking about this sure. subject a lot recently. And you know the you're right that the you know we're we're in the early stages of this, but the you know building of this SaaS service is just if you talk to like you said, any of the companies that you're on, it's just an extraordinary amount of work. And I think that's unbelievable. I mean' it's, it's yeah. unbelievable how how much effort it is right. And I think what that speaks to is why it makes sense to centralize that in a proprietary org in that you can There's only a limited amount of engineering effort you can expend. And if you try to support a 1,000 organizations hosting their own stuff with their own SRE staff, you just can't do it. It's just impossible. So what you're left with is a centralized service where you can exercise economies of scale. So I think it makes sense to move proprietary capabilities into a centralized service where you can have economies of scale. It provides more net value to the entire ecosystem and then i think it's kind of incumbent on you to actually have a variable pricing model where some of the smaller
0: players can participate as well and get the value out of it um, so let's let, let's let's get into that the the price model in just a second cuz i i just want to i just want to just poke in on on or at least define um a, a little bit better what we mean by like or what you mean by like centralized versus distributed and and so i'm going to make make a statement i just don't know if it's true or not and like again nick or andrew if if you can keep me honest here, which is let's um, imagine that you did open source all of that, you know, operations code to make the SaaS service. Like it's not even clear to me that anybody could actually use it because you make so many assumptions on like how smart the the administrators are for the cluster, the the network environment, you know, like the physical setup. I mean, there's just so many assumptions based in the operations code. Absolutely. It, feels, it just feels to me like there's this law of physics, which is like the majority, okay, it's, it's almost like From the highest level, the economy, the market is saying it wants to to consume things via SaaS. Okay, so that's a given. Therefore, we have to build SaaS service. Okay, that's a given. Therefore, we have to write a lot of code to do this SaaS service. And and that code is hard. That's hard shit, man. It's like like distributed cluster management and all of that stuff. Er, You know, ergo, the market is basically bringing, you know, a lot of value into stuff that just, it just doesn't make even sense to open source. So
3: reliability is provided by social technical systems. There's no software on the world in the, like Google doesn't believe that they don't need SREs. There's there's no organization that thinks you can just turn your back on this stuff and it will run itself. Right. When you, when you look at the big picture, I think you also have to look at the difference between what it takes to run one instance of something that an organization would need to do. And then what it, takes to build a multi-tenant environment with all the security mm-hmm. and all these other that that's where all the hard problems at least from from what i've seen start to emerge running one thing is is not as hard and then i'll also add another thing um just because of you know things i've experienced personally the um, yeah. de- developers don't always write the most operable code right and so there, there's a sort of a, a an understanding if you if you get to Experience some of these things inside of some of these orgs have have built those those types of libraries, and you see what emerged at a place like like Google or or imagine Facebook or what have you that you you have these underlying platform services, you know, starting at the the compute, networking, and storage primitives that can keep strong promises about reliability and scalability. And the developers don't necessarily need to be experts in all of those underlying, you know, the, the magic of distributed systems. They can be they can be focused on their particular business problem. Yeah,
1: I, 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 yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Christian. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to comment to the the premise of the question in my mind uh, misses a little bit of of an opportunity. Great. Right? The, the separation on uh, application versus service. So something that I, I think we, we've been um, exploring and pushing the envelope is when when the service and and the application they know about each other and you can start building product capabilities that leverage what the service can and cannot do or how do you deal with i don't know failures or resource constraints or if you have more resources you can adapt and and as an example we we built a ton of features that are deeply integrated into the service so i don't know that we could at least in in the case of snowflake separate what's what and and I, I actually I think that that's an exciting opportunity for 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 everyone building technology. That uh, these things are going to blend in you know, a in a way more seamless. Of course, saying the open source matters even less in my mind. Uh, Peter.
4: <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, well, there you go. I. <laughs> I um. What's interesting to me, I you know, I. So it's interesting because. To me, open source, let's say, as a startup company, if I'm a startup, I probably would start with some form of open source because it is an early indicator of market interest. Like, it's an easy way to get, like, the community involved and get sort of, you know, people engaged with the product without going and standing up a whole SaaS service. I mean, I'm sort of thinking about the companies that we get involved with. We, you know... There's an open source project, We there's a lot of interest, and then that in turn turns into some SaaS offering by that company over time. And I'm wondering if that's sort of the future of this whole evolution. It's like, is it really about like market interest in that? And then there's a tremendous amount of time. I don't disagree with that at all. Tremendous yeah. amount of time building, you know, multi-tenancy and security and blah, 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 all that stuff. And the open source component of the actual product in terms of engineering hours is probably very small,
0: right? So I or think, small, I smallish. I, I
4: think so, so how is that dynamic different than a
3: freemium model? And would they be right. farther ahead if they adopted some of the points Christian yeah. made no, where no. everything was purpose built from the beginning uh, to I, the, the question, and, Right.
4: I andrew, I think that's a great it is a great point. I think about that all like I really do think about that a lot. Like, is there Freemium and closed source versus open source and free, right? Like, what's the difference, and really, where do those levers actually move? I think it's an excellent point. Excellent. Another.
0: Uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just to say, like Nick has, you know, made some very specific choices around this for the company he's building, which is, you know, I'm just wondering, Nick, as you think through, like, if you were doing dagster 10 years ago would you make different decisions than you are now i mean yeah, are, you, yeah. are you rethinking it from when you started it because i actually think there's there's this, almost like this kind of philosophical bend we can go on and which is oh there's macroeconomics are kind of like changing the shape of the world and open source now looks this way. <laughs> but then there's the, there's the reality of like you know you've got to build a company and so <laughs> how is
2: your, your thinking evolving yeah i mean i think the reality is the thinking is always evolving um, you know, we're attacking a very hard and deep problem, which is effectively what's the right API and programming model for what we call data applications, but ETL, machine learning, training, et cetera, et cetera. And it's an extremely complicated problem to get right in the way that we want to do it. And, the, you know, so we've been really focusing on the... API and the programming model, and we also have to vertically integrate with some infrastructure, and we're supporting that with a small number, you know, a a modest number of early adopters to figure out what the right structure is for the system, and also to get that direct feedback um, from early adopters and hobbyists who are often early indicators of where the wind is blowing in terms of developer taste. and you're much less likely to engage with those folks if you're purely a proprietary stack. So I think there is a balance here. The way I think about it is that, you know we wanna deliver tons of values to the developers we serve. We wanna figure out the right way of doing that in kind of a narrow scope. And then once we scale, that's when those economies of scale take over. It makes a ton of sense to centralize operations. Um, yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, and I don't know if we've all, you know gotten the balance right on that. you know, I think we're still figuring that out. Um, but you know, open source is also more than just the code being open. It's a yep. set of norms around engaging with communities, which totally. I think increasingly proprietary companies are taking on. And connecting to what you said earlier, um, Martine, about background noise, you know, I remember this plain as day where, again, the React... I consider like React like the, the most like stratospheric open source project of all time, maybe, in terms of adoption. And sure. Sure. I remember early in the days, some of the passionate users actually made a stained glass window with the React logo on it and sent it to the team so they could hang it up and literally have the church of React in the office. And that was created <laughs> yeah. by users. That's um, awesome. <laughs> so it's... It's difficult to express, yeah. And I don't know if it had, I don't know if the code has to be open. It might just be yeah. the norms around the communities that happen that yeah. the level of passion and cool. the engagement is really powerful. And then mm-hmm. back to like the incentives of developer, there are people who say, I will not work at a company unless it uses this technology. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right? Full stop. And I don't know anything more powerful than that. You know, yeah, if 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 in terms of connection with the customer and yeah. the user, so um, I love the po- I love the points Nick's making
3: about community here, and this is sort of the a sub point of what I was trying to say earlier when open source is not one thing, and in fact I'll argue that there's things that are proprietary that are actually better at, at fostering community than than some open source projects, right? So the code might be open. But their their intentions and and these a bunch of other things are are potentially closed. Where some other um, things are are maybe closed source or or SaaS as you say, but they're they're much better at kind of sharing their intentions and bringing people into that that community.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of the collaboration software that we see are, is very much like that, right? I mean, yeah. developing tools together, that kind of thing that community without being open source for sure. Look at look at the community around Photoshop. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, Figma. or you know, or Figma <laughs> or GitHub or whatever. That's exactly right. That's exactly what I was thinking of. I'm wondering, cool. Andrew, back to your question, but not your comment before about freemium versus open source. I wonder for a startup, and I'll throw this out there to everyone. I'm just wondering if a startup, do you get liftoff quicker? and early market indicators by doing open source versus let's say a freemium SaaS product right like which That's is the, question, the long, right? which is the longer pole in the tent to get to something right and maybe that i don't i don't know but i'm just sort of thinking like hey a freemium is so great why doesn't everyone do that and there just may be well, this combination of community and ease to get something out there i don't i don't know
0: Peter, let me, I, I, let, Peter, let, Peter, let, me, let me just quickly up level this this because this is a great question but I think you can almost generalize it and and yeah actually go ahead there, go ahead well no, no 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 so I actually want to answer exactly this question I just want to generalize it and um there was actually like on on Twitter someone had asked this this question which which is okay if you're doing a startup you know you have the decision whether to do open source and if you yeah. do open source you know the decision is like do you put like, and then there's this broad question that you're asking is like, what are the pluses and minuses? Yeah. Generally, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you know, like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. create in the, you know, so for example, I'll, I'll just say some of them. Like, so the plus from open source, of course, is like, you know, it's it's, it's a very efficient marketing channel for sure, right? And right. It, right. It, it's, it's, it's a well understood way to build community. Like, we actually understand yeah. the interaction style. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, we, we know like DevRel is a real thing. We know how to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, then of course, there's all the integrations, there's the, you know, like, you know, I mean, there's all the optics, that's positive. But there's a lot of negatives, too, which is like, boy, almost everybody seems very tempted to then build a business around the open source shipping it, which always sucks because churn sucks, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, there's also the issue, which I I just feel companies have really felt the pain on, which is you know now Amazon picks it up and they 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 yeah, offer yeah. A shitty they offer a shitty version of it, but people don't care because it's Amazon, oh. so they use it. Yeah. And so, so I so I think maybe maybe this is a broad question to everybody, Chris, huh. Andrew, Nick, Peter, everybody, which is, yeah, you know, making a decision today. How do you navigate? whether yeah. to use open source or not, given that there's pretty obvious benefits, but like also some pretty clear negatives. Yeah,
2: yeah. first, Martin, I think the, the word you're looking for with the Amazon strategy is, that it's all Amazon basics. They started at USB, and they yeah, ended 100%. up at workflow engines and databases. <laughs> Just, it's, it's the same strategy. The batteries, <laughs> <It's> like, yeah.
0: <laughs> I love
1: it, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna steal they, that, that comment.
0: Uh, I, stole it, I, I stole
2: them, right? it from like, uh Jeff Meyerson at Software Engineering Daily. I thought it was uh, fantastic. So I <laughs> it's, it's just Amazon basics. <laughs> can't escape the culture. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. Sure,
3: I'm sure they did all the math before they, they built any of it and they, they have a few things to do analytics on. So
1: <laughs> well
2: I, I sure. think I, I think, think there's another... I don't know if that's true. I don't know if AWS's strategy is good. I think the snowflake bean here is the prime example. Um where the Amazon Basics approach—I mean, Redshift's a bad example because they acquired the code from a proprietary service—but they also have Athena, which is built on Presto. But yeah, instead cool. of instead of trying to build their own Amazon Basics, instead if they had an approach where they engage and pot- potentially even acquire, um, you know, these companies, I think they would have better outcomes. Um, Christian.
3: I, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to argue
1: with what they, they file with the SEC every quarter. But yeah, go ahead. No, no, but my, my it's exactly that. Like uh, their, their, their superpower is hosting stuff that someone else created, open source or not, and and yeah, it, it shows. I, I, w- I want to actually, I, I want to revisit ahead, one of
3: the assumptions, which is that open source gets created to to make a startup, and and if you look at some of the, I mean, this 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 touches oh, a bunch this is of great. the topics yeah, we're yeah, yeah. where, 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 where talking about right now. If totally. you look at Kafka um, and how Kafka started, I don't think that when they open sourced that initially, there was any intention to really, I mean, maybe in the, you know, great. Jay Krebs back of his, his mind, that was something in his head that he would do eventually, but it was really built to purpose built to solve a problem for Agreed. that organization. And then, kind of inadvertently, open sourced in a sense. There's this a community around it, and then someone kind of, and and now you know you know the results, and it also touches on what Amazon's doing. But but not all of these projects start because someone wants to build a company. It's simply no, a developer I, trying to solve a problem that, that
4: they need to solve. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Many of our companies come out of larger companies where they have done that. Right. My only point was it does. It's an early indicator of. Of fit because they're solving a particular problem right
0: i yeah. you know, I, I think so. of, of the like there's there's few easy answers and there's i think this one is a very easy answer which is if you created an open source project within a larger company and that's hunting like not building a company around that and decide instead doing something like totally different you know doesn't make as much sense meaning like i think it you know, open source is great. And, and more and more, it does feel like so much of it is like kind of the exhaust from large companies. But if you're, you know, if you're the one that's working on the project, I think it's it's a very viable approach to build a company around that. I think the much more difficult question is, you know, you wake up in the morning, and you're very passionate about X, and like, you're going to start a company around X. And then, you know, from like, ab initial, like, you know, from a standing start, you decide to do open source. And, you know, I I think that's a much more complicated decision because now the success of your company is predicated on, you know, are you going to get adoption from it? And, you know, yeah. it, it, and listen, Nick, you you made the decision to do that, right? I mean, and and, and many do. Um, I just know as, as the world kind of evolves, whether we're going to see more of that or we're we going to see less
1: of that. And I don't know the answer. Uh, my, my, my well, view, I would go ahead. Go ahead. It, it has a lot to do also with the nature of the technology. I, I think oh, Nathan, sure. early, Earlier, you said uh, a program model an API that is lends itself way more for hey, here's an open source, and over time you 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 prioritize it. Uh, sure. A distributed system, something that the, the the open source is complex to adopt. Maybe you start on the other end.
2: Yeah. <laughs> is there a process boundary? Yeah. You know, like it's a very specific technical property. I love it. Um, and it it, it really determines the the trade-offs here, you know, like I knew that Dagster would be, you know, a subset of the system would be in process with I love the that. developers code. And right. it's just kind of more, it's more natural to do it because I think a developer is much less, especially one of these early adopters who likes playing with this stuff is much less likely to adopt and play with the system. if it's closed source. It just doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. for them. Um, you know, I think one other theme, just back to the, um, you know, Inside big company open source projects, you know, like I can't, I, I have no idea what, what, what CREP's motivations were. But, you know, what I see is a lot of projects, and I don't know how this dynamic is going to unfold, where the sole purpose of open sourcing it was to get the IP out of the company. So <laughs> they can, so they can, they can start the business, right? Killing, and maybe even Mac get Valium. like a seed round for free. So, yeah. so on and, that point, and, 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 the, and the other point with, you know, another motivation to do open source is that if it becomes successful, it's very good for your career. Um, right. Right. so I wouldn't, you know, that wasn't the that wasn't the reason why we open source BrafQL. Scouts honor, I swear to God. But <laughs> it's certainly that being successful has been very useful for me. So, so the I point to- you just made and the point Martin
3: made a minute ago, do you think at some point that that companies will start to be reluctant to let people open source, their code. I
2: that is the bajillion dollar question. I think um, in terms of you know, I it would make sense for it to start to clamp down. Um, you, you know the the moving GraphQL into a foundation was you know we had very good relationship with the company. Everyone knew that we were on the up and up, I believe. Um, but then you have other cases like the Presto disaster where it ended up with a fork and they had to rename it and there's lawsuits and all this stuff. And so I don't, you know, I'm inside the walls of Facebook, I don't know how how good they feel about it. Um the reality is that the engineers might have enough leverage still because of yeah, the dynamics I think, of I think marketplaces that, think, that they can do whatever they want. But. I
4: think that's really the point is that there's enough leverage right now such that, you know, if you work at a company that doesn't allow it, you'll go to work at a company that that does, right? And until something changes, probably.
1: I I also believe that it it will continue to happen, that all these companies will will push those projects out because it's going to be a distraction. And if they think that building a site business is easy, then they they should talk to any founder and say, realize that it is way harder than it seems. So I think it will continue. I just want to say that I want to go
0: strongly on record that I support big companies funding open source and then spinning them out for us to fund. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I'm. I'm so. Hey. So for anybody De-risk. in the audience. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's like you, you basically fund like you've seen fund a, a, a startup that way. But for anything yeah. in the audience, there's also a anybody... value proposition
2: for the companies though in terms of recruiting juice. Like that is real.
0: Um, oh, for sure. And and like, yeah, so
2: definitely. it's it's I I have no idea how this is going to play out, but there's a bunch of kind of cross cutting. Weird incentives at play here, um,
0: and I don't, yeah. you know, I don't have a single answer. But yeah. I just, I just wanted to I, say for anybody in the audience, very quickly, if anybody has any topics they want, please raise your hand. We'll try and bring you up in the last, you know, 13 minutes of the show, just in case. Go ahead, Peter. Sorry.
4: Uh, I, I, well, I was going to, you know, I, i I'm going back to if I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an engineer, and I want to start a company. Let's say I'm not coming from a big company with a boatload of open source. I guess how do I decide whether to go open source or fr- let's just call it open source versus freemium, right? Do I go direct to SaaS and do freemium, or do I do open source? And to me, I look at this a lot of times. I look at this as a mark as sort of a marketing and you know interest kind of getting community interest. And I wonder, I I would imagine if it's based largely on the product, on the decision to go do that would. To me, would be which one is going to get the most traction in the shortest time frame is one of the, you know, one of the elements that I would look at. I don't know. I'm just sort of back to I, I, that.
2: I, I mean, it's for, I mean, changed for, dramatically in the last few years. You know, five years and, ago, I think that people were hesitant to uh, d- defer hosting some open source technology to a centralized company, and now yeah, it's yeah. completely reversed, and it's become actually an, ad- an adoption requirement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's I true. I think the marketplace is changing as well.
4: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think it kind of goes
3: back to the point Christian was making, you know, understanding your goals and being deliberate. Yeah. You know, what's the nature of the problem you're solving? Exactly. What's the nature of the customer you're going to sell to? And then yep. maybe um it's not a problem yep. for, for you all, but like what how much capital do you have available yeah. to to solve that problem?
4: Yep, exactly. I think that's also very fair because you know, if you're doing freemium, let's say. You may need to actually do some different type of marketing or community development, whatever, as opposed to open source, where, you know, it may be a little easier to get customer adoption, depending on the product. I think that's it.
3: If if you go straight to SaaS, you have to solve
4: all those hard distributed systems problems. I know. I know. But eventually, (laughs) but here's actually, Andrew, here's what I was thinking. Let's assume that SaaS is the end goal in all of this, right? You're going to have to go eat that expense at some point, point. and so the question yeah. is: Do you do it up front, or do you do it, you right. know, in stepwise over time? And but, one but is how the, much, much is money? It?
3: How much money do you have in the bank to go? Yeah, that's. that's
4: I, I think it's a great. It's a great. That's. I, you're right. <laughs> yeah, What's up, but, 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 Yeah, yeah the it the took a lot of so, capital
2: I, for think, Snowflake oh, to get where it is. You know, like I agree, they solve an extremely difficult problem, and. You know, congrats yeah. to them. But, you know, right. in terms of right. what the right capital structure is for right. um, every right. problem, I think it's kind of, yes. you know, that, that's yeah, an interesting
4: sh- pr- point. Yeah, because if you have to go build a whole, you know, a whole stack and then go, you know, satisfy it and build all those parameters in before, let's say, that's the first viable product of a SAS snowflake, right? That's a lot of work. And, you know, there's a lot of engineering time to get to that point.
1: Yeah, but, but here's those developers aren't cheap. No, the interesting thing, that, nope. yeah, the, the interesting <laughs> thing is, is that the product itself requires that type of complexity to be that the MVP comes in with yes. product, and, and and for some categories I think that's the price of entry. Yep. Uh, okay. Totally. Let, me, let, okay
0: let, let, me, let me let me let me let me try and pencil out a, a, like a stupid headcount argument here, but I think like like this is the perfect lead-in, which is Very few companies have actually shipped a complex distributed system, right? It's a very, very, very hard problem to do. Like, I think maybe Sonos has. Like, (laughs) like, Like, I don't know, like, how many, you know, almost all companies rely on very smart administrators to do it, right? And so, and because the market is asking for SaaS, we have to build systems, and we necessarily have to build a ton of proprietary code just because of exactly this problem. It's just, you know, you're building a complex distributed system that has to be operated that needs reliability, so... So if you look at the breakdown of developers today, I would argue far more of those developers today are working on closed source infrastructure than were working on closed source infrastructure relatively say 10 years ago. I mean I just I think you just look at the workloads, right? If like if a workload like if the if the, if the net new workload today is being spun up on a cloud like almost by definition, by definition. yeah they're using infrastructure um, that's closed source. And by definition, that's being written by people that are writing closed source software almost. And so of course, all of this was bootstrapped by open source, but it seems to me that the majority of dollars are going to write new lines of code, which are closed. And so it's not clear to me in the limit over time, how this penciled out, it could just be that we're going back to closed systems.
1: Martin, yeah.
2: where do you view Kubernetes in all this? Given that it's a dominant container orchestration framework, it runs a ton of workloads. I don't know what the percentage would be, but it's
0: uh, it is an open source project. Um, well, but the, the question, question is, someone contrary is what,
2: to the thesis.
0: No, no, no. But what the question is, what is that where does that workload run? So, if, so let's say let's say a net new container or a net new VM today. I would say the chances that it's running on AWS, GCP, Azure, Digital Ocean is increasing over time. And if that statement is true, then, and and not only would I say that, I would say that the chances that that workload is using an API that's a SaaS service, whether that's Auth0 or SendGrid or Twilio, is increasing over time. So those two things are increasing over time. By definition, the amount of closed source being used is increasing relative to open source. And it seems to me that it's increasing very, very quickly. Right. Yeah, Wh-
4: I mean, it means it's cloud. You know, another way to put it is cloud infrastructure—the new open source, right? Well, but it's or not the, open new open close <laughs> the new The new close source. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it's like we're creating the mainframe again. It's like it's like. Open uh, I know, I know. Or the new
4: close source, whatever the new, because you're just leveraging those components. It's just but I there, think there's right? A, there's there's a, a little
3: nuanced distinction between closed source, where you're selling the software that's closed and this purpose-built infrastructure, which is inadvertently closed and no one else could even run it if they had it. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's the value of the service and you know the reliability right. and the scalability and all these other abilities and qualities that, that's that's w- allowing you to capture value and have that relationship with the customer, a- 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 not Andrew, the fact that
0: is, that code is, is closed. Well, Andrew, this is my core question, which is like, is there a fundamental complexity argument that you can make that if you're building a SaaS service, there's a portion of it that doesn't really make sense to open source because it's just not usable for an arbitrary environment. Like for example, you know, I had I, I ran a very large software product where we ship software, right? And it was a, it was a, it was a distributed system. Um, you know, this was shipped. This this is when I was running network and security for VMware, and like our HCL list, even though like you know we've already had three hundred people just working on maintenance for like different like hardware configurations, and then like man, like you know how complex our um, uh, like our documentation was just for the cluster management, and it was like all of that stuff basically goes away in, in 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 the SaaS world. And so, you know, I just know how hard a problem it is to build software that people can actually run as a SaaS service. And and if that's the case, you're almost arguing that there's a structure in the market, like an actual an actual structure that's saying this is all going to be closed source because it just doesn't make sense to open source it. And in the limit, yeah. <laughs>
2: Ahead, I, I agree. I agree, Martin. The, the, this is what I was talking about earlier with the economies of scale in that, you know, there's huge advantages to running a SaaS service on closed source, uh, mostly just in terms <laughs> of like the practicalities of being able to push continuously and yeah. move much more quickly. Rolling out changes to an open source community is
0: very challenging. But the specific thing to what you're saying, let me just, just because you just hit on the, I think the core point, and, and I totally agree with what you're saying, but like, you just said on um, closed source. I'm saying that even if you did open source it, it would be useless. <laughs> no sense? one no one could possibly run it. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's it's almost like it's like it's almost technically structural that this code that you're writing is not useful to anybody.
3: Except you. And your <laughs>
0: Exactly, and your operating model, and your admins, and your your hardware. It's just this weird realization that if SaaS really is the thing, and this and 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 to technically generalize this is too tough. It's almost like the world is saying we're going away from open source. <laughs> for
1: a certain,
3: soft, problems, certain class of problem, the software for certain class
2: of problem. The values in the software running, and if no one else can exactly. run, it, then it
3: doesn't matter. Right. Yeah.
2: There, the systems are not a function of code. It's a function of code, state, norms, systems, as I believe Andrew made that point earlier. And administrators think the whole thing. That's right. Yeah, They're social systems. Cool.
0: Um, one last uh, topic. I mean, we only have a few minutes here. One last topic I wanna um, get into very quickly, which is we actually haven't touched on um, open standards quite a bit uh, or enough. Like we've talked a lot about open source, the implications, kind of the structure. And so very quickly, um, and maybe, again, Nick, since you opened up with this, like, does this mean we need to change the way that we think about open standards to get a lot more serious about them? Because I think we've been pretty loosey-goosey in the area of open source. And, like, maybe is it time to have, like, an IETF, God forbid? I mean, like, an organization I can't – I've had a lot of difficulty with the past. Like, is it time to bring this back? Or, like, where do we stand?
2: Yeah, I mean, so far it's been much more in the realm of norms rather than laws. And I would love for it to continue that way. Um, you know, it, it, I think it's actually worked remarkably well across a bunch of domains of software, you know, all the way from like parquet file formats to, you know, like right. ones I know, GraphQL, et cetera. I, you know, I don't really have any profound thoughts beyond that other than my desire for it to continue to be a function of norms and that the number of, Positive-sum relationships in technology outweigh the number of zero-sum relationships, such that it's in. There's generally an incentive structure
1: to develop these standards. Right. Yeah, I, right. I am a fan of standards. I, I think for sure there should be a more more push there. Standard APIs, standard protocols. The the key challenge is are they at the right uh, altitude and level of abstraction? Uh, yeah. I think we all keep coming back to SQL uh, in many examples because. It is a model that has plenty of room for optimization and and uh um over time. Whereas if you would have gone to low level, I don't know, an ISAM or something like that, it would have died. So so it's not just the standard, but the right level of standardization.
0: Yep, Andrew so
3: i I love what both Nick and, and and Christian said here
1: i I've sat on the front
3: row and watched several um, efforts to make standards for how to package and deploy applications you know Tosca or you know whatever these little groups and I, I think sometimes that just ends up in this weird committee uh, of uselessness. and so I, I think you got to be careful you know when when you get too focused on standards but there's not there's not enough practitioners driving that with the norms and this kind of de facto nature of of something that works like you get into dangerous territory and you can waste all the time and resources you don't want to but you know when you get to those lower level things like the the network for example if it's not standard it literally doesn't work so that there's some balance between those two sides
0: yep cool we're about out of time peter anything else you want to say to wrap up anybody else
4: no that was great Thank you all. Awesome. It was awesome. Hey,
0: listen. Yeah, thanks so much for everybody that joined. This was a lot of fun. So, pleasure. Uh, thanks uh, yeah, for, thanks having for us. the opportunity to
2: speak. Yeah, it's great. Likewise, all all right. Right. thank awesome. you. All right. We'll be all back. All right. In two See you
0: all.